Welcome to RetroTube, the podcast in which Adam and Heather gaze mournfully at old TV shows and then say things with their mouths. It's time for Random Flames, A Dancing Naked Lady, some tarot cards and the creepiest theme tune this side of Picture Box. Yes, it's Tales of the Unexpected. The scourge of unwary children everywhere and the inspiration for many a sleepless night, Tales of the Unexpected was an anthology show which comprised 122 episodes from 1979 to 1988. Originally written and presented by terrifying skullhead Roald Dahl as a vehicle for his macabre sensibilities, the show later became much more varied in tone and style. Essentially a UK version of Hitchcock's Half Hour, with some of the same stories and an even more problematic host, Tales of the Unexpected is best remembered for its queasy theme music and unsettling vibe. But Heather, did you have any knowledge or preconceptions of the show going into it? I didn't. All, all I knew is, is the theme tune, um, which just stays in your head for approximately ever. And Doesn't it? That it was written by Roald Dahl and that my brother calls it Tales of the Completely Expected. <laughs> he would. And didn't your sister have lingering memories of uh, royal jelly? Yeah. So um, when I said when I said to her that we were we were doing tales of the unexpected as an episode of Retro Tube, she was like, "Oh God, no, no, not the one with the royal jelly, no, no." And I was like, "Oh, I don't know if we're going to be watching that." And at the time, we weren't. We'd chosen a, another episode, but as hmm. soon as I said that to you, you were like, "Aha, we'll watch that one." <laughs> so. Um, Thanks for that. We we normally do two episodes of the show, but I did I've picked three for this one because they're quite short, they're 24, 25 minutes each. And it's so varied in tone and style throughout that it it's difficult to really get a proper feel for it from two episodes. It's, even three doesn't really cover it, but you get a better idea from three. So I picked two episodes which were ones that I particularly liked, and I had picked a third one. Uh, which is called uh, Wink Three Times, and it's starring uh, Peter Davison and Lisa Goddard. Uh, but I've switched that yes. out for uh, Royal Jelly, which because I wanted to give you two that I particularly liked and one which is kind of regarded as one of those really memorable classics from the early series from when Roald Dahl was still hosting it and writing most of the episodes. So we'll, yes, we'll look at the uh, episodes in the order that we watch them um but first of all i wanted to ask you about the theme music because i've always been curious about the theme music from a person who hasn't grown up knowing tales of the unexpected this is uh ron grainer again this is our second ron grainer show in succession uh, and cle- clearly we'll get to at least one more Great. in the very near future Good news. but if you watch tales of the unexpected as a child that piece of music is absolutely terrifying. It's it's it is just your nightmares in music form. But I don't know if, if there's an inherent creepiness in the music because it is kind of like a giddy, queasy sort of fairground waltz that seems to just be on a loop. But how yeah, how yeah. did you find the music sort of independent of the the show? I would agree with you. I think to an extent, um, it is quite sinister and yes, quite fairgrounding. Mm. Um, like, you know, you can just listen to it on, on a level and you think, oh, this is nice. Ding, 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 
And, uh, but then, like, the longer that the theme tune goes on, the more you're like, ah. Yes, and it doesn't do anything new. It's like lounge jazz, but the lounge is in hell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're yeah, expecting it's exactly like, like that. You're expecting a chorus or you know some kind of variation, but it just goes round and round and round. Uh, and yes, it, 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 relentlessly. It, yeah, it it sounds like it should be just really cheesy, but yes, it's unsettling. It's definitely got an unsettling thing to it. It is unsettling. Hmm. I don't think there are many shows that vary so much in quality from episode to episode. So you can have some really good ones where the twist is genuinely satisfying, whether or not mm. you sort of guessed it early or it can be a total letdown or you can even get to the end and think, where, where was the twist? Which which was the bit that was supposed to be unexpected? So, it can, yeah, it can be all sorts of things. Uh, but I tried to pick three. I tried to pick two that I liked and one that was very well regarded. So the first episode that we looked at is an episode from 1982 called What Have You Been Up To Lately? And I think it'd be nice if we talk around the twist as much as we can in case people okay. who haven't seen it are inspired to go and watch it. So without giving away too much of how it ends, can you describe the story of the episode to us? Yes. Uh, there was... There were two couples in in this story. Uh, one is quite a poor couple who live in not exactly a block of flats, but like one one of those big Londony houses where mm, with the landlady where they've all been turned into separate rooms. the uh, The first couple, the man is an alcoholic, and the woman is a bit of a narc, a bit of a, a, a whinger and a nagger, and they're having a big row. And it's a proper old-fashioned row, isn't it? Proper 70s oh, yeah, domestic yeah. row. Proper one of those kitchen sink drama types. And then it cuts to a posh couple, um, and the woman is clearly a successful businesswoman, and the man is a little bit on the henpecked side, and they have a bit of a row over whether he had gone to the laundrette or not, and it turned out that he hasn't. Yeah, I think he's he's kind of kept, isn't he? Like, he doesn't really he do anything. Kept. And then it all it all cuts to the uh, the nosy neighbour again, and uh, she's she's woken up by a drip drip dripping sound, and the drip drip dripping sound is is blood on the newspaper that is coming from the light above her, and it's obviously dripping through dripping through the, the ceiling. Above. Yeah. So the main body of the story is about two actors: the grumpy, unpleasant, alcoholic. Uh, guy and the henpecked kept man yes are both actors and they both have this history together where they they uh, have worked together and they know each other they're old friends who have become estranged for reasons that we discover later yes. and they've both gone on to live very different lives but they're both frustrated because neither of them fulfilled their potential they they haven't become big name actors they're not regularly in work they're not stars but they're not even regular jobbing actors they both sort of just do no. these piddly little theater shows and losing money and so this is a big cause of their the rows that they have is the fact that they're middle-aged men still trying to cling on to this dream of being actors even though despite their earlier promise they've they've never reached success yes and i would like to make this this point and uh i 
I did giggle when I saw this because they, they meet each other outside a theatre mm. and decide to go for a drink. But the, the theatre that they meet outside has a sign that just says, Dennis Lawson, a treat. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes, he is. Isn't he? Yes, uh-huh. he's so much of a treat. We all, we all know the old man crush that I've got on Dennis Lawson. <laughs> a lovely little <laughs> so pocket-sized like, treat. It knows that I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so the body of the story is actually them in the pub reminiscing. And it's about two old actors reminiscing about the good old days and kind of licking their wounds. And we discovered that the grumpy Irish alcoholic actor, and that's possibly a bit of unfortunate 1980s sort of stereotyping that they've cast the alcoholic one as Irish. But Mm. he is, um, he used to be in love with the uh, successful businesswoman, but the other guy, Peter Barkworth, is the is the richer of the two. And it's always lovely to play Peter Barkworth. And the other actor, Benjamin Whitrow, he's apparently been in everything. I don't remember seeing him in, a, in anything before. I feel like I've seen him in an awful lot of things. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I, he does seem very, very, very familiar to me. Mm. So I, I think of... Tales of the Unexpected generally. And this is a good example episode of the tone of much of it. I think of this as dystopian fiction, but it's dystopia of mm. personality in so much yes. as like almost everyone in the, depicted in Tales of the Unexpected is a horrible, horrible, unpleasant person. Yes. And there's I'm almost no that. one nice at all in it. In fact, the the, the episode that I bumped the uh, Wink Three Times with Peter Davison and Lisa Gardard it's probably one of the few episodes that does actually feature nice people that they both play quite sweet characters, but generally it's just this absolute wasteland of horrible people. <laughs> so how did you find it? What's your impressions of this, this particular episode? Oh gosh, I really liked the episode. Oh, brilliant. I think it's, it was my favourite of, of the three episodes that we watched. In fact. Yeah. I was not expecting the ending. <laughs> this is the idea. It's good. No, the ending's good, isn't it? We won't really talk yeah, about and, it. But and I'm, I know, I'm... I know, I know. The idea is it is the tales <laughs> of the unexpected. Mm. But when it's been advertised to me as being, "Huh, you're totally going to get all of the endings. It's fine. You're going to guess." I thought at first, I thought maybe they were just like rehearsing a play together and mm. just like you know really getting sort of into the into some sort of proper method acting. You know, maybe maybe that was the way that the the story was was, writ- was written. So you kind of were pulled into thinking that way. Um, but I did, I did absolutely not expect what I saw. I think it's got this reputation of being oh, it's tales unexpected, but you can see it coming a mile off. But it's, like I was saying with the Blake Seven episode, it picking up this reputation of wobbly sets and general naffness. It's just one or two or three episodes that have given it this reputation, and, and it, when it's good, it, it's very good. And you and it seeds some good red herrings as well. Yeah, you ne- you're never quite sure what's relevant information. I know, and a lot of episodes do that. There'll be side characters who'll have a who'll seem to be doing something very specific. The second one we watched has a has a missing watch in it, and things like that, where you think, ah, okay, missing watch, that's a clue. Yeah, just misdirection. It'll just wrong foot you, and it's and it. Often it will be nothing to do with these very specific things that it places in there. Um, I would also like to mention uh, the Kipling joke. Uh, do you remember the old story about the two girls? Uh, one says to the other, uh, do you like Kipling? 
And the other one says, well, I don't know. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> because I feel if anybody was going to make a joke like that, it would be me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's called Dicky. Uh, because He's called what? Dicky. The only people ever called Dicky are always actors. Yes. You never meet a Dicky outside of the theatre. I really liked that moment that you mentioned earlier with the blood dripping through the ceiling onto the newspaper. Yes. It starts with a pit pat and then she looks up and there's just rivulets running down the light, the lampshade. Oh, that's properly Hitchcockian. Yes. The conversation that went on between Dicky and Fergus in the pub kind of went on for a while. It kind of didn't really go anywhere. It was just sort of, yes, we're friends, but you stole the woman that I love and I've never forgiven you for it. And even though he says this, and there's obviously a lot of malice and a lot of, of, of bitterness in his demeanour, they don't like have a fight or anything. And it kind of just goes on for quite a while. And then all of a sudden, all, all of a sudden it just escalates. And <laughs> and I've, uh, I had to rewind it because I, I wasn't sure what had happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was just minding my own business. And, and then all hell broke loose, mm. and, as usually happens. Move, come on, oh, get over there. Come you're not the kind of chap who carries a gun. That's not real. It's real, all right. You know what I got it? But you ran after Melissa. Don't move, Kathleen. I didn't come in here for the pleasure of your company. I thought if anything goes wrong, you might test me with an alibi. And now it has gone wrong. Stay where you are, Kathleen. I wouldn't want to shoot a girl from Galway. Which I think is a motto we can all live by. I, I wrote that one down too. I, I wouldn't want to shoot a girl from Galway. I think, yeah, I really like the fact that it's there's a good, I don't know, probably 10 minutes in the middle of the episode, which is just these two actors reminiscing. Mm. Uh, because it's just great to see two, uh, in, in the real world, two really good actors acting. Did you know him, Dickie? No, no. Then why do you call him Noel? Oh, God, Gus. Old actors have it. We all do it. How was the marriage? Oh, it was a boy and a girl. Oh. And uh, where are they? The boy's in New York. And uh, the girl does some sort of work with children. I've rather lost touch with him. Doesn't sound as though the love match worked out. Well, I never made it as an actor. Melissa was a great success. It keeps your attention. It's a pro- proper good really two-hander. Does. It does. I mean, mm. it was. It wasn't a. It wasn't a boring conversation by by any no. stretch. No, and there's so much it subtext. Was, but like I say, when when it did turn, it turned so fast that it just completely took you off guard. I I was still reeling from the fact that you used to be able to buy cigars in a pub. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You can really smell the fag ash and the stale beer in you it, can't really you? Could, like... You really could. You really could. It was very, very... Effective. And for a studio set, I mean, you you feel that they're in some Soho pub. Yeah, I really miss old pub smells. I do. I mean, I don't smoke and I never liked coming out stinking of stale fags. But it's quite nostalgic, that. Just that... Those, yeah, it those really Those horrible, is. sticky, really reeking is. pubs you used to get in the 80s. They were awful. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's quite nostalgic. You'd have to, like shower about twelve times before you get <laughs> smoke would. out of your hair yes. and uh, uh, horrible. But like, I, you really miss it now as it's gone. I don't know if very I do strange. really, but it is very nostalgic to think about. One thing I noticed about this episode is I could really imagine it being a, an edition of Inside Number Nine. Yeah. Out of all the tales of the unexpected episodes I've seen, I think 
Steve Pemberton and Reece Shearsmith seem to have this love of faded, embittered showbiz. So many of their episodes is about like the dark side of show business and how it damages the people in it and they become these sort of shells of people and yeah. they they had some past glory days or some un, unfulfilled potential i think dicky would be steve pemberton and reese shearsmith would play fergus yes whatever happened uh, to that ghastly girl she went to art school with um Short legs and freckles and, and, and screwed back hair. Do you remember? She was sort of dumpy and had to have every joke explained to her twice. <laughs> God, she was awful. <sighs> Smelt like the inside of a tart's handbag. What was her name? Audrey. Oh, yes. Yes. Whatever happened to her? Did she ever get anywhere? No, not far. She married me. It's the most catastrophic faux pas you can imagine. Oh, like of all the he's standing behind me, isn't he? Moments. It's just like the most, the most catastrophic of all of them. So, I I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the car chase. Yeah, it it takes a turn this episode, doesn't it? It goes from like a two hander, quite literally, intimate theatre piece, basically, to <laughs> then yes. has a car chase. Yeah, it's very besweening. Yeah, isn't it? It, it just completely yeah. goes off in a. In, at a tangent, which is great, yes, but we will say I, no I, more. I really liked it. We'll say no more about. We'll say it. no more about the the twist. But yes, that's definitely one worth watching. Hi there. So you like reminiscing over old telly? It seems. Well, the guys have been kind enough to give us a tick to tell you about another podcast you might like. Yes, we're the show host for the sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive, a podcast that goes way beyond obsessive when it comes to our favourite British sitcoms of days gone by. Oh, God, yes. We go the full hog and deep dive week by week every single episode made of the sitcoms that we choose for the show. And season one... Series one, Ben, we are British. Oh, uh, yes, sorry, series one um, is all about the good life. We're looking at every episode, the fashions, the gin consumption, the sneaky cigarette theft, the swinging, sustainability, and, of course, the superb writing and performances. Yes, and when we're finished, it'll be on to another old classic to kick the arse out of, won't it? Yes, maybe the young ones. Or porridge, maybe. The world is our lobster. So join us and take a deep dive into all things The Good Life with the sitcom archive Deep Dive Overdrive podcast. Or Sado. Because basically we're a couple of Sados. Hmm, speak for yourself. So let's move on to the second episode. The wrong one. So I wanted to pick a completely contrasting episode. Oh. Tales of the Unexpected did a variety of styles of show but very often it fell into two quite distinctive camps either the really grim and gritty or the kind of tacky 1980s chintzy glamour all like soft focus filters and candlelight and pearls and champagne and all that kind of thing and sort of shabby swanky bars so that's what we've gone for for the second episode, yes. uh, which, as you say, is called The Wrong Un, and this is from 1983. A good year. A very good year. Oh, yes, this is your year, of course, isn't it? Yes. Uh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what happens in this episode? Well, um, a man with a very bad German accent uh, is in a cheapo hotel having a business meeting with a chap from Coventry, and... They've finished all of the negotiations and the German guy is like, uh, are you going to stay for a drink? And the businessman's like, no, I've got to get home. My wife's got guests over. And the German guy's like, I might go to that 
that club you took me to mm. and the fella's like yeah my wife does not know that i know about this club so don't <laughs> you say anything so i can i can only imagine it's a, it's a bit of a naughty club it's very of that sort of seedy yes sort of underbelly kind of feel and not in the seediness of the first episode but but it's a different sort of seediness yes yes a, a more seedy kind of a seediness yeah this that sort of like business businessmen in cheap suits from coventry and Stuttgart or wherever he's from going to like yes. strip clubs kind of thing and then in the next scene there's a, a lady at the hotel bar and she all she wants to do is order a martini with an olive mm. like literally nothing remotely controversial about that except that the man says to her, the barman says to her no I'm sorry because you're an unaccompanied woman from our 2020 eyes this is quite a jaw-dropping moment isn't it really i was furious as far as tales of the unexpected go that's quite an unexpected thing of somebody who wasn't frequenting bars in 1983 is this a is this a regular rule in hotel bars in the early 80s i have no idea no no unaccompanied woman to be to be served and quite understandably she's incensed absolutely and then the german man comes over and saves the day and says well i will accompany you mm-hmm. and i will buy you a drink don't you worry i will not only buy you your drink i will also get us some champagne he looks like what one would imagine a german businessman to look like in the early 80s i would say so yes very much so and so the the lady agrees and she's like it's just until my fiance angus arrives yes and he's like because <laughs> he's a scotsman sure. the next thing it goes to a different scene altogether where the the security guy at the hotel, uh, the hotel detective, and the rich lady who owns the watch is very, very grateful. But the maid is uh, very annoyed because she'd been accused of stealing the watch, and the posh lady would not apologise. The hotel detective is played by Andrew Ray, and he uh, is something of a Mister Tales of the Unexpected. He was actually, I would have thought he was in more, but he was in a total of six episodes out of 122, which doesn't oh. sound like much. But he always seemed to be in the episodes. He would turn up regularly, and uh, it's sort of like an unofficial running theme now. We like to have a hard day's night connection every uh, episode. Yes. So this episode's uh, hard day's night connection is that here's the brother of Robin Ray. Uh, who I'll surely can just have a little touch. Oh, right. Oh, well, there you go. You so much as breathe heavy on a mat, and I'm out on strike. <laughs> Aren't you being a little arbitrary? There you go. Hiding behind a smokescreen of bourgeois cliches. I don't go messing <laughs> around with your earphones, do I? Spoil sport. Well. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> don't mind us. <laughs> yeah, we're just off on one. After the whole watch debacle, the mm-hmm. uh, German man and the Scottish lady are really having a grand old time. Yeah, and it's it's actually quite cute. Um, it is quite cute. Like I mean, he's he's not he's not overtly, at least at this stage, he's not overtly sleazing on her or anything. It's, no, it's because it, at the moment it's quite a vuncular. I was about to say that very word. Oh really? Ah. Yeah, and um, uh, then she goes off to I don't know go for a tinkle or something and yeah or she goes to doesn't she go to guard. phone angus or see where angus yeah, is she, she does she does something she leaves mm-hmm. and then the security guard comes up to him and he says i've been in hotel security for a long time and i'm pretty sure that she's a wrong skillful too a real professional professional <laughs> what kind of professional well they're usually confidence tricksters but she could be a simple thief 
The problem is there's no way of finding out until they act. And then, of course, it's too late. Now, an important part of my job here is to warn hotel guests about undesirables. And the German man just ignores him because, you know, she seems like such a lovely lady. Yes. A moment that I thought was a little a little melodramatic mm. uh, was the, the receptionist lady at the hotel gave a package to the security man. And she says, a package addressed to you. Is it a bomb? Yes. Yeah, because people just post them like that in a jiffy bag. It was an ashtray. This episode's full of red herrings. This is what I mentioned before. So we've yes. got we've got the missing watch and the, uh, the rich old lady who refuses to apologise. We have the mysterious package, which could be a bomb. We have there's a, an issue with bleepers. Mm. Yeah, so there's lots of things seeded in where you're not quite sure how these different elements are going to play into the eventual denouement and the the course of the story. And all the ladies yes. like Mr. Oaks. He's he's one of those he's one of those employees who just he's just very popular with the ladies. He he, he just has like an easy charisma about him. I think. I mean, just look at it this way, Sally. All she's got is a drowned watch. You've got a career. I want. Oh, you're pulling my leg, Mr. Oaks. Job to scarce in the Midlands, Sally. This isn't a job, it's feudalism. Oh, history, your strong point, is it? Oh, yeah, I nearly went to university. <laughs> so you're about the campus. They, they don't necessarily yeah. fancy him, they just sort of... Yeah, they just enjoy his... He's just like, he's like, he seems like a nice fellow. He's, like, he's a trustworthy character. You, you, you think that he'd be fair... And he's somebody you have a nice chat with and he's not going to be some awful stern bureaucrat or anything like that. And then it went back to Helmet and the Scottish Lady. So they're talking about drinking and stuff and the fact that she doesn't do it and none of her family do. And Helmet tries to win her over with cheap wine and a wacky straw. <laughs> I can't even remember the last time I saw a straw like that, but they were they were, oh, they were great, the crazy the straws, yeah. The then they went up to his hotel room under the... Uh, guys of him showing her photos of his kids, I think. His stamp collection. But I haven't caught any stamps. <laughs> <laughs> we have got to stop quoting artists. <laughs> we'll get in trouble. There's uh, certainly nothing more erotic than um, <laughs> photos of your children. <laughs> so uh, the lady from Dundee, she ends up dead. She ends up dead in the bathroom and the man has... Uh, he just has his little his little t-shirt and little shorts on, and uh, he has absolutely no memory of where he is or what's happened or what's going on, and he is terrified and doesn't want the police involved, obviously because he's worried about his family. So, Mister Oaks arrives. This is an incredibly nosy hotel. Yes, like they're always just checking up on what everyone's doing, and he knocks on the Mister Oaks, the hotel detective, knocks on the door and. Is everything okay in there? I, I, you took that lady I warned you about up to your room. Is everything all right? So he comes in and finds that um, Helmut is passed out in his jimmy jammies and the lady yes. has died. And Mr. Oakes says that this was all part of her plan to rob him, but she got she was an amateur and she got it wrong and she accidentally drugged herself and she gave herself a fatal overdose and gave him a smaller, a smaller dose of the drug and he fell asleep and... Uh, so it was just it, it was a con that went horribly wrong and now she's died and he's in the frame yes which is quite a scary thought on a lot of levels so after some begging and pleading on helmet's part mr oaks reluctantly uh, agrees to dispose of the body in exchange for some cash 
Yes, £5,000. Suddenly, suddenly, Mr Oakes is a bit less above board and a bit less trustworthy, but he's, he, he's kind of persuaded that since the death was accidental and she was a wrong in any way, that moving the body won't really, on moral grounds, make much of a difference. So for, for a cash payment, he agrees to move the body for Helmut while Helmut goes out and gets his flight back to Germany. So he puts her in a big laundry trolley and puts a sheet over her because... That is a perfect disguise and nobody would guess that there was a dead body in there because dead bodies weigh the same as laundry. Yeah, and they've never seen Faulty Towers or never the talons once. of Wang Chiang. So, yeah, that's that's what happens. And then other things happen that we're not going to say what happens. Yeah, we don't want other to things happen, but, but they do involve uh, nosy... Even more nosy than the hotel detective is Jimmy the barman who's sneaking Jimmy around and nosing around, the, yeah. lurking in corners... So what did you think to this episode? I guessed what was going on. Oh, really? Quite, okay. Yeah, quite early oh, on. Um, I didn't. I, I knew it was going to be some sort of a, a thing like that. I didn't like. Mm. I didn't guess sort of like all of the details, but I knew there was something fishy going on. Yeah. I, I have to say I should have guessed because I, I went through a period last year of just watching many, many Tales of the Unexpected back to back. And I would say around 25% of episodes have this ending. Right. <laughs> so I, sh- I should have guessed you, you should have known and it's always good i always i, I always leap up and down and go yippee <laughs> whenever this is the ending <laughs> but it's Bingo. the ending often shall we say but it's still good yeah i find that satisfying every time it's like a good exactly i mean i, I did i did enjoy this i enjoyed the story and i even though i knew what the what the twist was well i i didn't know but yeah I didn't guess. but you guess um, yeah even even though that was the case i still really enjoyed the story and i enjoyed the way that it played out mm. i liked the play between mr oaks and jimmy um, yeah because they clearly were not massive friends but you knew that there was a connection there that they that neither of them were talking about Mm. And, and I like the way I like the balance that the two actors got while they were playing that, um, and I like the ancillary story about the about the missing watch because it turned out that the the posh lady was was quite was quite nice after all, and she you know tried to make amends to the the cleaning lady. Yes, yeah, that was a nice little sort of. It was a nice touch. At the mini end. mini subplot, and I I felt. Felt very, very, very sorry for poor Helmut and his terrible accent. I just wanted to mention that the music in this is is done by prog rock uh, keyboardist Dave Greenslade, who also did the theme tune oh. to a very peculiar practice, which we might cover a bit later. The eighties glamour—it's almost oh. suffocating. Like it's—it's it's just thick. It's like being inside a jar of golden syrup. And and that level of tacky. Yes, definitely. It's really sort of mm. pre-ironic. I think if you go into like a fancy bar now, there's, there's there's some level of irony or some kind of creative decor or that kind of thing. They might sort of have some you know, shabby chic or something like that to break it up. But this is this is completely unironic, soft focus and pearls and diamante and all that kind of stuff and gold lame style uh, oh, glamour. Oh yes, it's all happening. Yes. It's all happening. I like this episode because it does, uh, just as the other one captured that. St- stale beer and stale cigarettes feel 
this one does capture that side of the 80s as well very well and it, i love this sort of thing that was being time capsules yeah that people watching it at the time wouldn't really recognize it as being such it would just be like a drama in a bar but now we're watching it 37 years later mm. it's very much it's very much of the mm, very, ca- very very much very capturing much. a slice of the 80s that a lot of thing, other things wouldn't capture. So you wouldn't get it from pop music and you wouldn't. You know, it's not the kind of thing you'd see in mu- music videos mm. or a lot of the you know stuff like Doctor Who. You wouldn't see this kind of thing. And a lot of the things that people cling on to as being sort of 80s nostalgia keystones or tentpoles or whatever. This is the sort of thing that would slip through the cracks. So as somebody who was around at this time and I used to go with my parents to the local social club, so it, it's quite evocative, this sort of rubbishness. So the third episode we watched is the famous Royal Jelly and we go back to 1979 for this one. And this was back when Roald Dahl yes. was writing and presenting. Yes. I was very excited that Roald Dahl was introducing it. And not only that, he gave an anecdote about Dick Van Dyke. It's a good name drop. It is. It is. I mean, who doesn't love Dick Van Dyke? Everybody loves him. Roald Dahl wrote the screenplay for uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which will be how how he knows Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Right. Oh, actually, that makes sense because it's 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 the kind of sinister kind of thing that Roald Dahl would write. I think Roald Dahl is not the sort of man you'd want to hang out with. He's for for this, he's suitably creepy. He's totally lacking in any kind of warmth or personal charm, isn't he? Yes. I remember um, he appeared on Blue Peter once and uh, there was a phone-in show on Blue Peter. I think it was Blue Peter. And one of the children rang up and said, uh, if if a child wanted to become a writer, what advice would you give? And Roald Dahl's answer was, you shouldn't. Children are terrible writers. Possibly not the, the answer that the caller was hoping for. And I think there's a kind of nervous laughter from the presenters. <laughs> I think what they were hoping for was like, oh, stick with it, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, and, you follow know, your you'll, dreams. Follow the dreams, follow you'll dreams, get better. Kid. Yeah, The more you write, the better you'll get. But he said, no, don't, don't, don't bother. So uh, Royal Jelly, this is one of the ones that's um, like Lamb to the Slaughter and the Flyer Paper and uh, oh. there's a few others that's remembered as the proper cast iron classics of tales of the unexpected uh, as a side note never watch flypaper i'm not going to just any anyone listening never watch the flypaper i mean i'm very difficult to offend but for me it's one of the few things i've watched that completely steps over the line and not in like not in a good way it's just like i sat down to watch and think great tales of the unexpected just by the end i was absolutely appalled um oh dear i enjoy ghoulish and macabre and this wasn't this was just horrible so um yeah tell us a little bit about royal jelly well uh susan george who i love and timothy west who i also love um playing a rare nice character i know they they play a married couple and it's kind of um it's not the it's not the couple that you'd that you'd instantly put together, but they're actually very cute. Sort of. I mean, he's playing very much against type, and he's she's playing very much mm. type. She's playing the regular Susan George character as kind of a bit put upon and a bit hysterical, and not somebody who's fully in control of their emotions. She's also in uh, Lamb to the Slaughter and plays quite a similar character. Um, anyway, they're married and they have. Uh, they've just had a little baby and the baby is malnourished it it won't eat she won't eat and this is causing 
uh, Susan George a lot of a lot of anxiety. Yes. She is hysterical, as you can imagine, um, because we do find out later in the episode that they have been trying for years to to have a child and without success. So she's devastated, and even though she's been reassured by the doctors and everybody that it's going to be okay, she is not listening to them. No. She she is borderline hysterical in that Susan George way. Yes, she is, but understandably so because you know mm. it's 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 a baby. I mean, it, it, it's it's only it's only got one job, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not doing that. Yeah. Um, and like she's only got one job, which is to keep it alive. So uh, it's it's all going horribly wrong. It's not going too well, um, no. Obviously, she's 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 quite attached to it as she would be, and she is hysterical and she's crying to her husband about it. And her husband is honestly at this moment far more interested in the fact that he's about to be on telly. Yes, I I mean we might be coming from this from a slightly different angle. Uh, the fact that that uh, Mr. Taylor, but what we haven't mentioned is Mr. Taylor's a beekeeper. Yes, he is. He's very keen on bees. That's his life obsession and his life interest, and and he's he he cares for the baby too. He's not a, he's not a bad father or a disinterested father. Oh no or anything no no like no! That. He's uh, he's he's a good dad and uh, an uh, an attentive husband for the for the main part, and he does really love. Yeah, and he's about to appear on national television. Yes, being interviewed about his beekeeping. When meanwhile, uh, Mrs. Taylor is upstairs in her bedroom combing her hair. Yes. And so she's not even bothering to come downstairs to watch her husband on Nationwide or whatever that whatever weird program this is that about beekeeping <laughs> that they're watching. It's it's the one show or something, I don't know. Uh, to, to be to be fair, she had worked herself up into such a state that she couldn't She got into a bit of a froth, yeah. Anything. She couldn't even, she couldn't even comfort the child mm-hmm. who was screaming hysterically at her. She was just a mess. Yeah. Timothy West was watching the documentary and uh, the presenter and he started having a conversation about royal jelly. So at this point, uh, just a quick question. Uh, he was difficult to see because the presenter's wearing a beekeeper outfit with the, the gauze and everything like mm. that. So he's quite difficult to see. But did you recognise the TV presenter? I, I did not. It was Andrew Ray again. You're joking. It was our Mr. Oaks. Does he do anything else? <laughs> he only ever appearing in Tales of the Unexpected. <laughs> so Mr. Taylor, uh, he doesn't. He doesn't have to. He's a he's an experienced beekeeper, but he doesn't have to wear the beekeeping cost the outfit, the protective gear. Yeah. He is. He seems to have this magical reason, way with bees. That he's they, never been stung. They never sting him. He's like the bee whisperer. Mm. And as as Andrew Ray says, as he walked away. I thought he's fancy, of course, but I think Mr. Taylor looks a little bit like a bee himself. Which is a very strange thing to say. A very strange thing to say. I can only really imagine this is regional TV. So, yeah, and while he is watching the documentary and they start talking about the royal jelly, you can see the cogs whirring in his mind. Yes. And he's like, don't worry, love, I've got an idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he goes up and he, he... Tell Susan George to get a good night's sleep and he'll take care of everything. And then the next thing you know, the baby's thriving and very hungry all the time. And getting bigger. Getting very big. Yeah. And things are calming down a bit. She's still she's still doing the Susan George thing. Sorry to Susan George if she's listening. She's a very fine actress, but certainly the the three roles that I've seen her in, which are two Tales of the Unexpected and Straw Dogs. 
<laughs> she... She's in an episode of uh, The Persuaders. Oh, really? Oh, okay. She is. She is. And she's not hysterical at all in that. Oh, brilliant. Oh, well, I'll sure have to look that one out just to get a different perspective. You will, you will. I love Susan George. Timothy West insists on continuing to, get, to take care of the food situation with the child. Yeah. Because everything's going so well. That's that. And then we find out why the child is doing so well. I think this one we can talk about the ending because A, it's it's a really well-known episode and okay. a lot of people are familiar with the ending. But I think also B, B. Uh, <laughs> I think that it's not really a rug pull twist in the same way as the other two are. No, I I guessed what was happening pretty much straight away. It, it's flagged up fairly early and it's not, yeah, it's not a twist in the in the sense of the word. So essentially what happens is that they've... They he both, turns into a bee. Both, he turns into a bee, Adam. Yeah, both Mr. George, no, Mr. Taylor and Baby Taylor have been ingesting royal jelly and he starts speaking like this. <laughs> She's enormous. What have you done? This is all right. This has got a double chin. Don't, don't you touch her. Oh, wait a minute, Mabel. Towards, towards the end. And, and and his hands go all hairy and he goes all hairy, which I'm sure is great for him because, you know, he's not he's not being blessed. And uh, then he just and he calls the baby queen. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, I can see what's going on here. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. I felt sick. I genuinely felt sick. Well, that's good. It, it it's entirely the power of suggestion as well because you don't see anything. Yeah. The end. The actual final shot is really odd. They could have chosen just to have her reaction to seeing the baby, and left it in, all entirely up to the viewer's imagination. But in fact, what they do show is a still picture of a perfectly normal baby's face. Yeah. And then a weird video graphic where the baby just zooms backwards in a kind of top of the pops graphic style with all colours. And that's the end. Yes. And quite what they're trying to achieve with that. I would like to read at this point the corresponding text from the her short story. Okay. The woman's eyes travelled slowly downwards and settled on the baby. The baby was lying naked on the table, fat and white and comatose, like some gigantic grub that was nearing the end of its larval life and would soon emerge into the world complete with mandibles and wings. So that's much more explicit about actually what's going on. Yeah, the baby. The baby, Uh, well done. Thank you. (laughs) You can keep that joking. So what did you think to this one? I want to say I liked it because, you know, I love Timothy West, I love Susan George, both great actors. Um, And I loved the introduction by Roald Dahl uh, because he was uh, quite an inspirational author when I was a, when I was very small, we we uh, read an awful lot of Roald Dahl books um, at school, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is one of my favourite films. I watched that the other um, day. Tim Brooke Taylor, of course. I always forget Tim Brooke Taylor's in that film. I am now telling the computer exactly what it can do with a lifetime supply of chocolate. <laughs> uh, is the best line. Yeah, so I, I really liked the whole Roald Dahl thing, and I liked the Dick Van Dyke anecdote and that but i just no i just didn't know it was it was too creepy for it was not for me because i i know i'm going to have a nightmare tonight about it yeah i think it's these early roald dahl first two or three series that roald dahl 
curated and wrote a lot of and presented that I think really give Tales of the Unexpected its sort of nightmarish reputation because the later series after he stopped doing it, it was all about a story with a twist. So often it was quite a dark story. It was usually a thriller uh, like the two we've seen are, are different types of thriller, but it was, it's it's usually sort of a fairly straightforward thriller with a twist, whereas Roald Dahl, obviously, he's more about the macabre. He is. So it, it's a lot more devilish and mischievous Yes. Um, when he's doing it. So so he's going for a much more kind of ghoulish vibe to the whole thing. So I, th- I think that's where the, a lot of where the theme tune gets its horrible nightmarish power from just everyone being like Ugh! at the end and like you say it wasn't really a twist no or particularly unexpected because you don't really have any expectations and it I, one of the notes i made is a very slight story it there's is. no real red herrings or anything like that and nothing to sort of set up a, a a reveal a big reveal at the end or anything but it's all about that macabre sort of threatening atmosphere and just this, this something awful is going to happen. Kind of vibes of The of the Fly, which, again, is it's a film I started watching and I had to turn off because I was instantly terrified. Uh, I had this image of, like, the baby with flies' eyes and, you know, the segmented bee eyes. Oh. And her being horrified by this. Uh, and the, sort of be, having an image of that's what you see in that final shot of the baby but in fact it's just a perfectly normal and fine baby it's very silly i mean when you take away that just that that horrible ghoulish atmosphere Mm. it's a very silly story i mean she's slightly hysterical about the fact that he's giving the baby royal jelly which seems doesn't seem that big i mean it's a food stuff but the fact that that (laughs) eating royal jelly turns you into a bee is is very silly so it's quite impressive that they get away with it to the extent that they do i think it's just it's just the way the way that it was all that it was all played was um even though it is ridiculous was was done in a way that didn't necessarily make it believable because we know that we know that this is not what eating royal jelly does to a person but uh most people haven't consumed enough of it to know that it doesn't and i think because they play it totally straight as well like yes, the actors play really, it straight really and do. it's it's filmed in a way that suggests this is to be taken seriously. And I think this is one actually that if Inside Number Nine did it, even though they're very good at doing the straight dramas, I think they have enough of a comedy background that if, if they attempted something with this kind of twist, people would go, what? Yeah, I think so. But the fact that this is has no kind of... I mean, this, it has a couple of funny lines, but but generally it's played so straight and it just... It is. It is very, very much. And I think that's probably what, like you say, what makes it so, so creepy. But actually of the three, it's my least favourite just because I think I like... I'm just a sucker for the rug pull. Yes, I, I think it was my least favourite as well of the three. Uh, we've got quite a different show than we normally talk about. Mm. So... Out of these three episodes, do you have a favourite and a least favourite character? My favourite character... I have two, I think. I liked Helmut because he was just... <laughs> a, he was so sweet and he didn't deserve anything that happened yeah. to him. Uh, but I also really felt for Fergus in uh, in the first episode. Oh, did you really? Okay. I, I did. I did. That's I felt very, very sorry for him because he... Um, I think he felt so betrayed by life and it had turned him so bitter and he'd got himself into a situation that he uh it was just heartbreaking to see him and i think it's probably due to the actor whose name i've forgotten um being such a good actor benjamin whitrow 
that you really just felt like, yeah, he he really deserved a better lot. But yeah, I just felt sorry for him because everything seemed to have just gone all wrong so many times. Yeah, I'm 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 less sympathetic towards him than you are because he's also an abuser and a murderer. But yeah, I can I can see I can see where you're coming from. I think I I mean I quite like Mr. Oakes, the hotel detective, just because he's he seemed like quite a nice fellow. Um. I don't know. You found him creepy. We could, no, we... I really, I really didn't like him. I really, <laughs> he, he was a bit skin crawly for me. Okay, yeah. I just kind of cling on to anyone that looks like you could just have a pleasant drink with without them pulling a gun on you or anything like that. <laughs> yes, quite. That's, that's, that's always a good thing. Always a good thing. So, did you have a favourite uh, either scene or thing about the show in general? I liked the scene um, where. Helmet and the Scottish lady were uh, having tea uh, because it was really nice. It was just a really nice, it was a, a really sweet scene. It was really, wasn't it? Before it all went horribly wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think my favourite thing is theme music. Yeah, the, the the theme is good, and it's what makes it. I think if it it wouldn't be as well remembered as it is if it had had a different theme tune. If it had a less memorable, less sort of weird queasy theme tune yes if it was just sort of like a dark sounding sting and then you're into it then it yeah it wouldn't have stuck in the imagination in the way it has but it just it's just so unsettling before anything's even happened so would you watch more i would but i would have to quantify that with that i wouldn't just watch any episode i would have to have them vetted by somebody (laughs) else first in a sort of a You'd like this one, it's safe. I personally think, I I haven't seen any other than the flypaper right. that are properly, properly leave an unpleasant taste in the mouth. I think most of them, you can take with the, the requisite dramatic pinch of salt uh, that it's all just yes. Royal Doll style hijinks. I think probably Royal Jelly is about as grim as it gets. Right, fair enough. Well, thank you once again, everybody, for listening in to another episode of RetroTube. Adam and I have certainly enjoyed having a chat about this one. It's been uh, been an event. If you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you as ever. Our Twitter account is at retro underscore tube. And if you would like to email us, you can always do that. Our email address is retrotubepodcast at gmail.com. Um, if you've got anything specifically you'd like to say about the show if there are any suggestions you'd like to make about episodes you'd like us to do in the future we'd love to hear from you and yeah that's pretty much it but um please tune in next week when it is my turn uh, to talk about one of my favorite shows of all time and in fact it's the it's the show that is responsible for me having such a massive obsession with the 1960s in the first place and we will be discussing the wonderful Randall and Hopkirk deceased I'm very excited I'm looking forward to it thank you very much for listening that's been me and I think that's been you as well hasn't it it certainly has cheerio